If you've not seen the movie Harriet, about the inspiring life and the accomplishments of Harriet Tubman, I hope you'll see it soon. Harriet Tubman was born into slavery in eastern Maryland, but determined as a young woman that she would either live free or die. In one of the most memorable scenes in the movie, as she's running for her freedom, Harriet's father told her to stop off and see the preacher at the church. The preacher could help her, he said. The preacher tried hard to dissuade Harriet from running. She's so small and young, she can't read. She's likely to be caught and probably even killed. It was too dangerous, he's trying to tell her. Harriet insisted she wasn't going back. In fact, she said it again, I'm either going to live free or die. Then the preacher said, okay, Harriet, okay, Harriet, I have two things you must know and you must never forget. He said, first, fear is your enemy. If you give in to fear, he said, you have no chance. And then he said, second, this is the way to go. And this is what you do when you get to Philadelphia, you find this person, here's his address, and she told him the ad- she, he told her the address. And off she went, 100 miles to Philadelphia, going not just to her freedom, but to a life committed to freeing so many others, going to serve in the Union Army eventually, going to give all of her energy as she says, every drop of her blood to end the horrific institution of slavery. In these days, we're still daily threatened by fear. Bible scholar and theologian Walter Brueggemann says, we live in a culture of fear fueled by our anxiety. But this is God's world, and we're God's people, And we need to live not in fear, but in faith, serving God and trusting God. We're not running for our freedom like Harriet, but fear remains our enemy. Perhaps it's fear of what's happening in our nation. With impeachment hearings and partisan bickering, threatening our constitution, threatening our democracy, threatening what we think is true what is real. Perhaps we feel intense fear with the crisis of our environment, increasing toxins, growing global population, diminishing resources, climate change. Perhaps the fear emerges closer to our own hearts when we worry about our children who are often in peril, Or we have fears about our parents who are declining in age and with increasing challenges. Or some of us carry a fear because of a diagnosis that changes how we see life. How we function in the world. How we envision our future. Confusion, anxiety, fear. These are real issues for our lives. Today we're kicking off Thanksgiving week. Many of us are focused on company coming to town. Many of us may be focused on traveling to be with family. That may bring its own anxiety and fear. 
right? We might be afraid that current politics and impeachment hearings are going to hijack any sense of peace around the table. What if Adam Schiff and Devin Nunes had to eat at the same Thanksgiving table? (laughs) Others of us might feel a sense of loss this week as Thanksgiving comes upon us, a sense of loneliness again as we come into this week. And all of us are being rushed from Turkey to Tinsel. The Christmas decorations are already up. The Christmas music is playing. There's this constant urge to be prepared to go spend, buy, consume, keep the economy going. But as you can see from the front of the bulletin, the top of the bulletin this day, the church across the world has staked a claim on this particular Sunday, Christ the King Sunday. The pyramids are white. The title is Christ the King Sunday. It's not about fear. It's not about Thanksgiving. It's not about the coming of Christmas. The day is known as Christ the King. It's the last Sunday in the liturgical year before we jump into Advent next Sunday and the coming of God. Christ the King Sunday was established fairly recently, about a hundred years ago, by Pope Pius XI in response to, catch this, growing and significant secularism and growing fascism in his day. This is what the Pope said. When people recognize, both in private and in public life, that Christ is King, society will at last receive the great blessing of real liberty, well-ordered discipline, peace, and harmony. Clearly, we're still praying for the great blessings of peace and harmony. Clearly, we're still working hard against growing secularism and even fascism in our society. We're still striving for public and private life to know that Christ reigns over all things, and clearly, we have a long way to go when the intentions of God, the intentions of God, free from fear, free from poverty and oppression, free with justice for everyone, emerge in fullness, the kingdom of God. Our first passage from Jeremiah that we heard already reminds us how bad things can get. People frantic, people scattered, power abused. But Jeremiah also makes the point about God's coming reign where all things are made right and the shepherd cares for all God's people. We keep looking for that. We keep waiting for that. We keep praying for that. God's reign. And we remember that line from Psalm 23 that says, I fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. We're called all to live into that, to work toward that. God's reign, under God's care, all our days, always. Then our second lesson for today feels a long way from turkeys and tinsel. But our lesson, this text for Christ the King, wants to remind us how we're called to live uh, under Christ's reign, Christ the King. Listen to Luke 23. This is toward the end of the gospel. You've heard it before. 
When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved himself. He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding Jesus and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we're getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. So it certainly doesn't look like Christ the King. We have our minds on turkey and maybe tinsel. Or we remain filled with fear and we let that enemy eat us up, tear away at the fabric of our lives, how we think, what we do, how we function, anxiety, confusion, uncertainty, fear, lots of things weigh us down. It certainly doesn't look like Christ the King in this passage from Luke 23. Christ the King looks like fake news. That's what they're saying. Christ is hanging on a cross. People scoffed. He saved others. Let him save himself. Couldn't be true. Christ the king? Nah. The inscription also mocks him, king of the Jews. But it's hanging in a cemetery among three people all on crosses. Here's the truth from one commentator. Jesus the king remains passive, acted upon through most of these verses, hardly like any earthly monarch. And that's the point. Jesus is like no earthly ruler. Jesus is the antithesis of dictators, bullies, and power brokers. King Jesus does not coerce or intimidate, use violence or bribery to get his way, The one who rules heaven and earth hangs powerless on the cross for the sake of the ones hanging beside him, both the criminal who recognizes him and the one who blasphemes him. He takes on the sin of the spectators and the scoffers, the mockers and the deniers. Jesus' reign of real liberty, well-ordered discipline, peace, harmony comes by way of the cross. Ushered in through solidarity with the helpless, and those who suffer unspeakable cruelty and pain. Christ the King is like no other. He came not to be served, but to serve. He came not to stand apart from the least of these, but to take their place. 
He came not to puff himself up, but to pour himself out. And here's what we also know and affirm today and every Sunday. God raised Jesus from the dead. That means that the scoffers and the mockers and the deniers and the dictators and the cruelty and the arrogant and the rude do not rule the day. God rules the day. And Christ reigns. Christ wins. And that changes everything. Everything. Everything about Jesus points to the reign of God. Christ the King wants to lead us and keep leading us into that new realm, God's realm. Jesus comes on the scene and he announces the time has come. Time to move on from the beat up, discouraging, selfish ways of the world. Time to move on into God's full reign. The blind see, the lame walk. The sick are healed. The prisoners are set free. Love rules over hate. Life rules over death. Christ is king. That's the promise. Could it be true? Could it be true? Could it be true? It doesn't look like it's true. He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Messiah of God. King? Really? It's true. Yes, it's true. Christ the King, the harshness of the cross, the mocking, the scoffing, the ridicule, they don't have the last and final word. Roger Ginch reminded us this week in one of his daily reflections, and I quote, the, qu- the cross for first century followers of Jesus became both the signature in history of the forces that killed Jesus and The symbol of hope for freedom from the forces of domination. Freedom from the forces of domination. God raised Jesus from the dead. Evil and death do not have the last word. Christ is king. Here's what else we know. Jesus reigns in cell blocks of convicted criminals, calling for repentance and offering forgiveness to them. Jesus refugee and asylum seeker reigns for those who have no home promising that none other than God prepares a place for them and welcomes them. Jesus rules in government offices and on the streets even with protesters urging everyone to see in one another the image of God to know of God's desire for justice and to participate in the inevitability of its coming. Christ is king. Christ is king in those places of great abundance and in those of soul-crushing scarcity, calling on all people to work to make sure everyone has enough. Jesus reigns in us when we seek the kingdom first. The kingdom of light where darkness no longer rules. Jesus reigns. It's the truth. It's real. It's for our lives, especially in these fearful times, these frenetic and chaotic times, no matter what you may be dealing with, no matter what we're all worried about, no matter how certain or how crazy the world, Jesus reigns. That's the promise. That's the message all through, script, all through Scripture. So here's the real question. 
Are we going to live it out or not? Does this reflect itself as truth in our very lives? That's our calling. Dorothy Day, the great spiritual writer and social justice theologian of a previous generation, said that we should all live our lives in such a way that it doesn't make sense unless we believe in God. We should live our lives in such a way that doesn't even make sense unless we believe in God. With whatever is most challenging, we're bold to trust God with our lives. With whatever is threatening us, especially threatening our sense of love, our sense of wholeness, we're bold to live our lives as God's connected and committed people with our time, our talent, our money, with whatever is going on in our community, our nation, our world. We strive to love God and love what God loves. That's our calling. Christ is King. Do our lives reflect it? It should. Peter Gomes is maybe a name that you know. Peter Gomes was for many years the preacher and professor at Harvard in Harvard Chapel. Gomes often preached about what it means to be a Christian. And Peter Gomes said this, to be Christian means to be a changed man or a changed woman in an unchanged world. Anyone can be a Christian in a Christian world. This is a pagan world. This is a fallen world. This is a secular world. This is a shabby world. This is a sordid world. And it happens to be the only world that you and I have. So to be Christian means to be changed in the middle of that which is unchanged. Gomes's point, it takes energy. It takes commitment. It takes faith. It takes courage to live by faith when the world encourages us to live by fear. It takes attentiveness and openness to God's Spirit to do the right thing when the world says, do the selfish thing. It takes commitment and trust to forgive in a world that loves grudges. It takes real faith to love in a world that prefers to walk over other people. It takes courage and attentiveness to God's Spirit to be quiet and to be still and to be open to God in a world that mostly says rush and go and crush others along the way and spend and consume and race. It takes faith to live differently. It takes grace and faith and openness to God to look beyond all that threatens us and pushes us down and wants to destroy life for us, and especially the less fortunate. We're called to be changed people in an unchanged world. We're called to be spiritual and faithful people who hold on to God's promises and seek to promote God's purposes in all times and places. Or put another way, we're called to know and we're called to trust that Christ is king. Christ reigns. Christ wins. We seek to live with courage, with commitment, with compassion from that news. May it be so. Alleluia. Amen.
Let us pray. Holy God, we believe. Help our unbelief. And by your Spirit, strengthen us with faith. By your Spirit, increase our love and devotion. By your Spirit, show us the way to discipleship. Amen.